Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you. I want to share from Psalm 22. Psalm 22. And this, for me, has been over the years, over the decades, a transforming truth. And I believe that it will be for you too. Psalm 22, and we'll read from verse 9. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Okay. That's a, a fascinating scripture, but I want you to realize it is in Psalm 22. And I don't know if you realize, but Psalm 22 is one of the greatest Old Testament scriptures that prophesy the sufferings and triumph of Jesus on the cross. It's it's an amazing psalm in that sense. As you read through it, you can basically see Jesus on the cross. It's, It's an amazing psalm. And maybe the only other passage in the Old Testament that could be anywhere near it is Isaiah 53. Um... And so this is a messianic psalm, so much so that Jesus quoted the first verse of this psalm on the cross. And in terms of the Hebrew understanding of of Scripture, that possibly was the announcement to the people around the cross that the entire psalm was really being fulfilled. So... Did, did you hear me? This is, is the most amazing prophecy concerning Jesus and his sufferings. But what is so often overlooked, David wrote this out of his own experience. David was experiencing every verse of this psalm. In in his own life experience, he was being ground through these words. And when we speak of it in terms of, of Jesus quoting it, Jesus took these sufferings of David that are recorded here and fulfilled them to limitlessness. Whatever David experienced here, and I don't know when he wrote this, but whenever he wrote it, whatever he was going through, uh, however horrific it was, Jesus took those sufferings, and they were his sufferings on the cross, 
taken to limitlessness. So I, I want to hold that in mind as a very important thing that I've just said, but just put it on hold for a minute. I want to see how David wrote this psalm and wrote it out of his own pressure, pain, grief that was going on as persons were oppressing him. Everything he was passing through at this time, he, he is writing this psalm to describe it and describe how he handles it. And his handling of this was to put it in the context of his uh, time in the womb of his mother, his birth, and ever since then, his whole life. And he says that he, he was cast out of the womb into the arms of God. I was cast upon you, he says. And then he says, at his mother's breasts, he trusted in God. That's um, an interesting uh, thought because he obviously a babe at the breast is in no um, spiritual mental state to trust God um, well, what, what is this about I want you to understand just a basic from this text life our life is not what can I say a patchwork quilt you know, it's not made up of all bits and pieces that are all disconnected. But rather, it is one seamless life. From the womb right through, it is seamless. I say again, not a patchwork quilt of that happened then and then everything and now this. And no, it's seamless. He says, from the womb. I was cast upon you. Upon my mother's breast, I was trusting you. It, it is the story, your life, my life, as expressed in David's uh, explanation. He says, this incredible God, who is covenant love, was loving me in the womb. He had his arms around me at my birth. And he carried me through and has carried me through to this minute and therefore my trust is in him. And what he is saying, he who loved me then when I didn't know it and I didn't realize it was totally ignorant of it, but he was holding me in covenant love. But now I know it. Now my eyes have been opened and I realize it. And I give him praise from the beginning all the way through to the end. You see, the reason I emphasize this, I've met all too many people who believe, have been taught, that God begins action of love in our life at the time we get saved or it comes with the new birth you know before that well you were just lost and damned and I forget it but then you got saved and now God comes into your life and begins his work of love you see um, well that that's up to a point because those same people believe that if they backslide 
then God will drop out of their life and they're all alone again, struggling in the middle of the great waves of life and, and until they do something that attracts God's attention and he's back again. And so it is, all bits and pieces in life. I asked one fellow, do you know the Lord? He says, well, on and off for the last 40 years, on and off, that is... Um, saved and backslide and try and get saved again and hang on to my... Oh, Lord, come back to the gospel, this incredible good news. It's not a patchwork quilt. God was there from the very beginning and never left you and was in his love intention bringing you to have your eyes opened in repentance and faith and to connect with him who is always connected to you. Do you, do you see what I'm meaning here? Um, God's presence in our life doesn't depend on our performance. He was in our life in this extreme love before we were capable of any performance whatsoever. God didn't wait for us to vote for him and make a decision for him, for him to stretch himself and start getting on with love in our life. No, he was the one that brought you to that moment. And I call that retroactive faith. That is, I'm standing here in the middle of my life, and I look back and I recognize the love of God the grace of God in my life before I had a clue that he was working. I go back to the womb and the consequences uh, that were happening all around me of my parents and the whole of life and he was already at work there and then I'm born and he's the one, he, he's the ultimate gynecologist. He, he brings me into life. He, I look back and I realize I didn't know a thing about that at the time, but he was active in love in my life at that time. Right through my earliest years uh, until whatever time it was, I began to realize inner eyes were being opened and I recognized him, but he'd been there from the very beginning, I'm going to say from before the very beginning. You see, if our entire life is lived out in the grasp of his love, well, I'm going to say you cannot fully trust the Lord until you can say yes to that. Because what, what I've just said means that his love for you, which doesn't begin when you repent and have faith, but began from before your actual beginning, that, that love means that the love of God begins with him. Please, please do, do you understand? It begins with him. It didn't begin because you were so smart that you decided to become a Christian. God's love began before you had any smarts. God loved you. God 
cradled you as a babe in his arms. God's arms were round you as you grew up to lead you to this life that you've now come to him. It's not your performance that drew his love to you. He loved you before you were capable of performance. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? His retroactive faith. I, I realize he's been with me before I even knew there was a he to be with me. It's remembering faith in the covenant meaning of the word remember, which is to take the past and relive it in the present. What David is doing, he's going back to when he... he in, in terms of mind and memory, he wasn't there. But, but he's taking that and bringing it into the present and saying, well, I was being formed in my mother's womb. You were there and you were watching over me and loving me. He is reliving all his yesterdays and, and seeing now, revising in the light of what he now understands that God was there. And, and in, in all the horrors of my beginnings, he was bringing me through that maze and swamp and chaos, and he's brought me to himself. Huh. I, mean, I mean, that's gloriously shocking. He, he's... His love is never failing. And it began to be never failing before I was there for it never failing to be, before I ever knew him. And so in this psalm we come to David, he's giving thanks at this time in his life. He's giving thanks to the one who has redeemed him from the beginning. He's his hand was there, delivering him, providing, protecting, caring. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit danced over you before you even knew. Covenant love underneath you and around you, ahead of you and behind you, when you didn't know there was such love to be had or known. You, O oh Lord, have been my life before my beginning, right up until now. Though so recently did I discover that. You see what he's saying? See, you realize God the Father didn't suddenly notice you when you were born again. That's quite a thought. Probably if you had to say that out loud, you would realize that's a bit silly, but there's plenty of people who have never articulated and so sort of halfways believe that inside. The God really took no notice of me until I got my act together and, and, and said yes to Jesus. No. In fact, Ephesians 1, which is all about this, says in that the Father loved you and had purpose for you before the creation, before clocks began to tick, before minutes and hours measured off time, when God was God was God and nothing else. He planned and purpose for you. 
No, he, he didn't suddenly wake up and say, wow, who's that? No, he's been working in all of your life from the womb and prior to bring you to himself. Your repentance and faith were not magnets that drew God to you. They were, in actual fact, a response to who God had been to you since before the beginning. The scripture says that he drew us to himself with cords of love. As I said, Ephesians 1 said, you were included in love plan before time. His love has brought you to himself in spite of incredible, what we would say, impossible, impossible obstacles. Yeah, when we say we're, we're saved, it includes all parts of our life. I mean, all the times, all the seasons of life. And it's retroactive. It, where, it, you realize when you, you are sitting now in Christ and the Holy Spirit, the one who opens your eyes and teaches you this life, and you look back and now you realize all that meandering path and sometimes horrific path, but it actually, every, every step was moving into this direction and bringing you to know the Father through Jesus. Do you realize that in fact it goes back to your conception? Do, do you know Psalm 139? We we really don't have the time to look at it in detail, but I, I think I can swing something in here. It, it's too good to miss. Um, Psalm 139, and my pages are stuck together here because this is not my usual Bible, but... Um, he is saying here, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You know all my thoughts are far off. There's not even a word in my tongue, but you know it all together. You know me, you know me, you know me. For you formed my inward parts. This is this is when you were in the womb. It's talking to you. You formed me, O Lord, in my inward part. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame. Um, what, what can I say? Your, your, your anatomy, the, the bone structure, your muscle structure, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret down there in the darkness of your mother's womb, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts. He says there, uh, you're skillfully wrought. That means there are fingers who are making me. Fingers that are tracing out the nerves. Fingers that are putting in the muscles. Your eyes saw my substance, even though as yet it was unformed. In your book they were all written. Was that your DNA, I wonder? I could keep going. 
right, right to your conception, right back there through your immediate babyhood, when you're newborn, he says, at my mother's breast, there, that this life of relationship began in, in my formed existence, through adult life, with all that it held. See, repentance is looking back and seeing life through his eyes. Do you understand? It's a radical mental change. Because so many times we look back at our life and we, we hate it. Some persons live their lives hating their parents and all that they went through. And they take the posture of being a victim and poor me. And you've got to look after me because of what happened in my childhood. Uh, repentance is a mental change that looks back now and sees the love of God at work that brought me through that hell hole and brought me to faith in him and causes me to rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. He says in the words we read, You are he who took me out of the womb. That makes, as I said, already said, the, the true gynecologist. He took you out of the womb. He made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. Cast upon you from birth. That word cast, it's a, a word that's used throughout the Old Testament. And it means, well, it means to throw. It means, actually it's used in the, what it's called in the Old Testament, the throwing of lots. It would be what today we would call throwing dice. It is, you know, you've got something in your hand and you throw it. That, that's this word, cast. And it was used of people to describe being thrown into an adventure, a journey, an adventure into the unknown, the scary unknown. But you're committed, and you can't turn back, and you're going into this, and you don't know where it's going. You are cast into it. I suppose there's something of that in our children's stories that, that we might read, where they always begin, once upon a time, and you hold your breath because you know it's about to begin. This crazy adventure that is going to be read to the children. Once upon a time. And there you, ca you came out of the womb. And in the heavens it began once upon a time. Your adventure. You have been cast into this fallen world. Cast. It means to let go. There you were snug in your mother's womb and you were let go and they cut the cord and you were out there in life. And where you're going, I say reverently, God only knows. Right? Cast. Strong word. And I think it, it really speaks for, for what happens out of the womb, into, I say, a fallen world. 
and into a family. And I, I, it's, it's not a matter of whether your family was now to be pronounced as good or evil. The fact is, the family that you found yourself in as this adventure began to open up, the, the family that they also had in their day been cast into this world. And they were on a journey, and depending on who they were, they either had a clue or didn't have a clue of where this was going. But for many of us, that family was anxious. You, you were born in, into a, an anxiety. Anxious, for whatever reasons. Financial reasons, physical, whatever. But, but you, you were born probably into a web of anxiety, of fear. My, my first memories, if I, if I were to inject myself into this, I, my first memories were of air raid sirens. Uh, my first memory was a face over my crib uh, of sheer terror that I can still see if I close my eyes and being caught up and, and rushed downstairs into a bomb shelter and... You've arrived. The adventure's on its way. And you look around as you, you become a little bit older and you see the fear on the faces of adults. And probably if one could go back, they were ignorant of how to handle life. They probably looked at you, this little babe, and they were afraid that they're ignorant of what to do with the baby and how they're ever going to make ends meet. And they too, probably at a level below all of that, they were seeking meaning and purpose to life, trying to handle their own pain and grief. Oh yeah, cast it out cast out into a raging torrent of a world. You hardly had time to say goodbye to the womb before you screamed out, you made a cry, and everybody said, he's here, she's arrived. How do we know he or she is here? Because they cried. It's, it's the mark of the world to which you've come. Said David, I was cast from my mother's womb, thrown like a dice. No one knows what's happening. If, if I just read it like that, I was cast from my mother's womb, then I would say indeed it was the luck of the dice. For David, David's an interesting fellow. We, we don't talk much about David in his early years. We talk about him as the psalmist, the king, but have you ever got the impression, if you've really studied his psalms and studied what we know of his life, have you ever got the impression David was unwanted? You know, the dead giveaway was that he was out there in the hills around Bethlehem watching his father's sheep and when the most important event in the life of that family occurred Samuel the prophet has come and it's not yet apparent he's come to choose the next king it's just the prophet has come 
to visit the ranch. Uh, you, you would have every one of your children there because this they're going to remember for years to come. And so all the kids were there except David. He, they, Father Jesse left him in the hills. He's not worth bringing home. Um, that, that's interesting, you know, interesting. Um, you know, there's that verse in Psalm 51 where David said, In sin did my mother conceive me. And of course, some people love to quote that verse as if it applies to everybody. And, and But does it? David wasn't talking about everybody. And he's very specific. In sin did my mother, my mother conceive me. That's unusual in biblical uh, terminology. It's a, bloodline in their minds came through the Father. And, and so, what's he talking? Is it possible? And I mean that. I'm not just... Is it possible that David was the result of some affair that his mother had had? Just a thought. Just a thought. Is it possible that he was looked upon with suspicion by all the others? I don't know, but it seems to be that he was certainly unwanted. He seems to be the accident, if nothing else. He's the sort of kid that the parents say, well, he'll never amount to anything. He's the one that they say, you're not bright like your brother, or you're not handsome like that other brother. You're, you're the run to the family. And they treated him like that. So when he was, what, 13, 14, maybe 15, when he went to Goliath at that time, do you remember when he began to say that he could defeat Goliath, his brothers began to mock him, put him down, and tell him to go home and look after the sheep? And David's response is very interesting. David says, what have I done now? You know, that suggests strongly that he's used to this. They're always putting him down. He never does anything right. He's never good enough. Get back to the sheep. David. Huh. David, the one that's not worth showing off to Samuel the prophet. And then in Psalm 27, he, he says, When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. I wonder what that refers to. You get the picture. I, I'm David did not have an easy life. David did not come into what we today would call a loving family. No. David, he came into a family that caused him a lot of grief and pain and probably, probably, today we would say, well, of course, see, you know, when he was a kid, this happened, and so look how he turns out, you know. He was cast. He was thrown into that family at birth. But he doesn't say that, although that's true, but he didn't. He said, I was cast upon you from my birth. Ha! Huh. 
It looked like I was just thrown like two dices on the Las Vegas table, and this is what came up. That's what it looks like, as it does for you and me. But, of course, things are not what they seem to be. Yes, I was cast out, he says, cast like dice. Just, I was born into this world. Just chance, just the luck of the throw. Came out in blood and water through the birth canal. Ah, but there was more in that birth room than you could ever imagine. He says he was delivered into this world by the hands of the covenant God. Didn't see him around, just saw the old woman of the neighborhood at the birthing. But David says, no, you were there. I was cast upon you. I was cast upon you at my birth. And interestingly, if you want to push it even further, he says, cast upon you. And that word in the Hebrew would mean I was thrown together with you. It, it would mean I'm thrown into a relationship with you. As I came out of the birth canal, I was met by you. All those ideas are in cast upon you. When I left the womb, he says, you cradled me. You held me on your lap. I've been the object of your love, the focus of your love, since before I ever knew. Yeah, he's, he's saying, I, I left the womb to embark upon a terrifying, horrific adventure. And I, I was totally unaware. I had no feelings of it, but you joined me in that. You joined me to you in that. You united with me. You tightly held me. Or should I say you took custody of me to share my life, to guide me. You know, there's verse in Zephaniah 3.17. It's worth finding. It's worth finding. Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 17. He says, The Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. He rejoices over you. Rejoices over you with songs of joy. He looks at you as if cradling you. The mother looks down at the baby and says he is calm. He is quiet in his love. He quiets you in his love. And then it says again, rejoices over you with shouts of joy. Do you get this? From the beginning, the love of God has sung over you, loved you, cradled you watched over you. Of course, I say it, I've got to underline it, we didn't have a clue of that. It was invisible to us and beyond our feeling and senses. It's something you only realize after the fact. 
In fact, when all the troubles of that horrific journey came to us, how many blamed God for them? And you know how got written into our legal system. So now anything bad that happens, it's an act of God. Blame God. And then if, if we got mixed up with religion, they says all the bad things that happened, God did it. He hurled his judgments at you. For somebody said, I don't know, but it's probably you or somebody else. Doesn't make any difference. I, I mean, I remember, if you remember 9-11 when the towers in New York City were, were brought down and the thousands died and some, I have to bite my tongue, I might call them some names I would regret, but some preachers with authority said that was the judgment of God because our government had made some wrong decision. How, well, what kind of a monster do you worship that kills all 3,000 people because he's upset with the government? I mean, really, well, I said, but you see, that's the point. We go into life and we see everything that happens and we say it's God's fault. Why doesn't God do something? Why do We don't realize it's not God doing that. They care. Those events that happen in your life, nothing as horrific may be as the Twin Towers, but everything that inside of we rise up, why, why God? Blame Him, it's His fault. No, you see, that, that came from human beings. It's their words that pierced your heart. It's their wicked hands that laid upon you. It's evil, wicked persons that got together to cause situations and circumstances. The truth is that the God who loved you was there and he joined you to carry you through this. And there would be a point where your eyes would be open to see his love. You had an invisible travel companion through it all who stood and, and felt and saw and experienced from the inside of our lives. And, and that's been true right through to this moment. Because unless someone has explained this and the Holy Spirit revealed this simple fact, you'll still be blaming God and screaming at Him, why did you do this or why didn't you do that? Instead of realizing human beings did that, human beings with the devil behind them. But it's God who has overcome and has brought you through that to this moment where you know the Lord and are coming to know His love more every week. He is the one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God here, God now, who has never and will never leave you nor abandon you. He experienced all that happened to you. He experienced all the decisions made and that includes all the foolish decisions, sometimes insane decisions 
that we have made and all the sin that came out of it but he never left and I know people get upset when I say that God's supposed to abandon you throw you to the trash heap but no if he threw you to the trash heap he joined you in the trash heap he's the shepherd that pursues the sheep into the howling wilderness God is love and that's the way he is and that's the way he always has been in your life right through until this moment we have in the last hours literally in the last hours we have experienced floods here throughout South Texas and um, the, the front of our property was just about uh, carried away um, we, we had 18 feet of water above our driveway uh, and uh, well enough we were in the middle of that and, and we, we got all the usual suspects religion rears its foul head and call that as the judgment of God on Texas that, that's a strange thing you know because we, we just come through four years of drought and they said that was the judgment of God on Texas I guess God has not much left for Texas except judgment. Doesn't matter what happens, it's his fault, you see. Isn't that amazing? And, and, and um, then, of course, the devil brought the drought, but then the devil, devil's bringing the floods. And, and so we can't make up our mind whether it's God's judgments or the devil. And so it goes on. The fact is, you know, weather patterns happen. And if you're going to live in Texas, get used to drought, get used to floods. We get it on a regular cycle. If you like tornadoes better, go to Oklahoma. If you prefer hurricanes, head down to Louisiana. You see what I mean? Uh, we, we, we were cast into a fallen world and that involved disasters. It involved people making silly judgments. It involved drunks getting into cars when they should have been locked up. And through the whole incredible tapestry, I was cast upon you. I wasn't left alone. I wasn't left to my own wits. I was cast upon you. You're with me. You're under me. You're over me. And the glorious thing is, some of this time, most of this time, actually, for most of us, we didn't even know that. Didn't even know it. See, what, what's... Let me read Isaiah 63, verse 9. And he's speaking. Speaking of Israel... He says, in all their affliction, he, our glorious God, he was afflicted. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He bore them or carried them all the days of old but did you hear that opening statement in all their afflictions he was afflicted and that word afflicted it involves distress 
It involves, the word means anxiety. It can mean something as annoying as a pebble in your shoe. It means being caught in a tight place. A claustrophobic life, hemmed in. All of that. It says, is that where you are? He says, I'm there too with you. I'm the one watching over you. He doesn't watch us from a remote heaven, disinterested, knows about you as an irrelevant fact. But rather, he in his love has settled in with you. You don't know him maybe, but he has never left you. He's working out a purpose in your life. And at this point in David's life, Psalm 22, something was happening, and I don't know what, but something, read the psalm. The man is in anguish. Something is happening. And then when Jesus suffers and is put on the cross, this psalm is taken, David's sufferings are taken, and Jesus enters into them and suffers David's sufferings to the limitless degree. Did you understand that? This happened first to David, but it was taken and made the very sufferings of Jesus. Can, can you grasp this? That when Jesus suffered your sufferings, your sin, your whole messed up, screwed up life became his sufferings. So that when you look at the cross, you are seeing David could look at the cross and see his sufferings in the sufferings of Jesus. And you can look at Jesus and see your sin, your condemnation, your shame, your pain, your grief, your messed up life. It's all focused in the one man who is God loving you that he took our lives, our sin, our shame, our grief and our sorrow, and he carried it in himself. And that's the point, you see. Whatever abuse you have suffered in life, he took it and experienced it. I deal with this in much more detail in, in the CD series, When God Feels Our Pain. Um, but, but let me say that every suffering of Jesus was an abuse that human gives to human, only he suffered it limitlessly, right through the sexual abuse, because crucifixion was stripping a person naked to be mocked and laughed at by the crowd as they hung upon the nails. God doesn't just magically remove Satan. He comes inside of us and he not only takes the pain and the poison to himself, but also he gives the life and the strength and the healing to us. He walked with you through your sufferings, not as an observer, but to take that to himself and to give to you the healing, mending, whole-making love. Hey, if you want to really delve into it, 
all his life he, he came to the bottom of our barrel. When he was born, do you remember that Herod wants to kill him? Didn't take very long for Satan to try and kill him. And so Joseph and Mary had to take their newborn toddler and be, they, they became refugees. Have you ever been a refugee? Have you fled for your life to another country? Have you hidden from those who would kill you? God knows by experience what that is and he took your experience in all its fears and horrors and he gives you his strength that's what it's saying you see. all of his rejection throughout his life his misunderstanding his own family didn't understand him right through to suffering and the cross and the cross his ultimate rejection abandonment it's like being thrown out on the trash heap of humanity it doesn't matter how low you get it doesn't matter where you find yourself God in the voice of the Holy Spirit says to you I've been there and I give you my strength my love is your strength isn't it incredible the life of David revealed who Jesus really is the love of God Look, it says of you let me read another scripture it's worth taking the time in Hosea chapter 11 and it's speaking here of these people Israel but it's us every one of us you when Israel was a child I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son as they called them so they went from them they sacrificed to Baal. They burned incense to carved images. He said they didn't have a clue. They were worshipping idols. But he said it didn't make any difference. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them. Do you see that picture? Hosea chapter 11, first four verses. But, but did you hear? He, he says, you know, I reached a... He takes the little child. He teaches Ephraim to walk. It's, it's a perfect image. He says, and you, all you could respond was with, with idolatry. You didn't even know me. I was working with you. My love wouldn't leave you. Look back and see that God has never left you. He would not be put off. He brought you to himself. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? I, I remember trying to share this with, with drug addicts in New York City when I pastored there decades ago. And, and, and they would talk of the horrific childhood and all that had happened. And, and I would, this is where I go. I said, isn't it incredible? His love brought you. He got you through that and brought you to this point and now he is the strength see there, there's a day when we wake up <laughs> we, there, uh, that, that's a biblical expression we, we wake up 
or a much more biblical expression is that your eyes were open inside eyes opened or of course the one that underscores all others is you were resurrected suddenly when the moment came it was sudden it might have had a long lead up but you realized the love of God in the midst of your life wherever you found yourself respectable religious a felon atheist I don't know where he found you but the fact is you woke up to realize his presence you opened your eyes and you saw a world entirely different to the one you had assumed it was a world in which God's love was with you that Jesus Christ God the Son had taken your sin shame pain grief messed up life made it his own and died and in it killed the whole thing and rose from the dead your new creation and uh, he, he's led you to this led you and to look back and realize a decision back there an open door there a closed one there a chance word there it's all led you to this isn't it incredible and since you're a believer if, if you haven't seen this before haven't you noticed how he guided you not because you fasted and prayed for 40 days but just because he loves you he's not going to quit now you can rest he's going to guide you through life because now you're waking up to partnership you're realizing he's in me and I'm in him couldn't be closer he keeps you he guards you you're his custody has been since before you were born he guides you through the swamps shows you where the path is and it's all scary sometimes but then you look back and realize the Lord was with me and I, I, I really didn't know it oh you've got scars all right oh yeah yeah, you, you, you bring the scars from those early years. I don't put that down. I honor those scars. They, they, they are memorials of victory. Yes, you don't play the victim. You, you don't say, you know, I had such a terrible childhood, you've got to... Be. No, no. Your terrible childhood... It's a memorial, a victory to him who got you out of that. And not only got you out of it, took the sting of it out, the poison of it out, and filled you with his strength. So you can now, with pride in him, say this, I, that's what I came through. But he brought me through. From the womb I was cast upon him and he brought me through. You're never alone. There's never separation. Your life is seamless. And it's for us to just open our eyes. Let the Holy Spirit open our eyes 
to see the seamlessness instead of, of standing at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and saying that was good, that was evil, that was evil, that was evil, that was evil, that was a bit of good. No, it's seamless life. He's never left you. And even though you didn't know, it has brought you to this moment. So now, until we meet again, take a new look at the past with the Holy Spirit as your mentor. Let the Holy Spirit open your eyes to see a revised past. To inspire within you retroactive faith that you might realize it wasn't just this little bit of life, but it's been your whole life. And those that hurt you in life, and, and you know, you've been their victim, well, you're not their victim anymore, you see, because in Christ you've been raised to be seated with Him in the heavens. You now in the wonder of who you now are realizing yourself to be in Christ, you give to them the forgiveness, which in plainer English is release. Release them to the Father and recognize that whatever you did to me, He healed. He makes me whole. He raises me above that. And I now can forgive, release you to the Father that you might know his love and his mercy too. This is part of the renewing of your mind, revisiting my past through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. And on that love that cannot cease, step out into my future now, which is still part of that once upon a time, you see. But I step out now with confidence and courage because of the love that never fails. There it is. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. That's the blessing we ask. And the blessing we know you press upon us to give. Open our eyes. That we may see the fullness and the dimensions of your love. And shall abandon ourselves to you. Upon whom we have been cast since our mother's womb. That blessing we give. That blessing we receive and declare that is the way it is.